it going everybody? It's Travis McKenzie, your host and friend. Firstly, thank you for being here. Secondly, I'm proud to bring you another day of the I'm Curious to Know project. If you're listening to this in May, you're in luck. Every day at 3.30 p.m. Eastern, I'm going live with incredible athletes and innovators from the world of endurance sports. These discussions take place on the innervoice.live Facebook page and are shared after the fact on all of the social channels and of course here on the Inner Voice podcast. If you'd like to catch one of these discussions live from wherever you are in the world, join me at 3.30 p.m. every single day in May. Today's podcast is an amazing conversation with Brenda Martinez, US Olympian and most importantly, a fantastic human. I walked away from the call feeling good about the future of the world. Brenda is a star and I'm stoked to bring her story and her message to you. Please enjoy the show. What's up, everybody? Here we are, uh, day two of the I'm Curious to Know project. I'm very excited to have Brenda Martinez with me today. Um, yesterday, as we mentioned, or as you may have seen, Ryan and Des Linden, so two US Olympians, two days in a row, I feel very, very privileged. Um, Brenda, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Trav? <laughs> I'm really good. Uh, I feel really good. I It's a sunny, beautiful day here. Um, I got a run in this morning. Uh, I got to go out and play with uh, with my daughter outside. So, yeah, life's good. And now I get to to have a conversation with you and learn more about you, which I'm really excited about as well. Now we were introduced by uh, Kevin Quadrosi, uh, also mm-hmm. known as Q from New Balance. Um, my wife works at New Balance, so he was kind enough to make the introduction. Um, and just to prove that sports marketing works, I decided to wear my New Balance. There you go. Today, <laughs> my Kawhi shirt. So I'm repping Team New Balance. Now, I know you've been a, a long-time New Balance athlete. Tell me kind of how meaningful that relationship is and, you know, how how happy you are to have their support. They've had my back since, you know, since I graduated college, like right then. Um, this year is going to be 10-year, the relationship that I've had with them, and they've been super consistent and just always treating me like family. And I'm just very grateful to have a sponsor that, regardless of what's going on, um, they're still going to support me, you know, whether that's an injury or you know, they have my back. My boss can call me anytime he wants, which is nice. And uh, I just feel reassured uh, being with a company like them. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, we got a, our first comment here from uh, from friend John Young. I only the only shoes I wear are New Balance. John's an amazing athlete as well. He's uh, he's mm-hmm. uh, his story is fantastic. He's done a bunch of awesome marathons. I'll I'll share a little bit of his story later on as well. But yeah, he's, okay. he's an amazing athlete. So mm-hmm. um, thanks for joining us, John. Appreciate it. I want to talk about motivation. Obviously, we're in the current climate we're in, the current circumstances we're in. We talked to Des yesterday, and she talked about her pity party after finishing fourth at the the Olympic trials and just missing out on the team mm-hmm. and then rolling into uh, isolation and quarantine. So she kind of yeah. had a double a double whammy. Um, yeah. Tell me about your motivation. I know it's hard to keep going when events are cancelled and postponed and pushed back and and things like that. So so what's your experience been with that kind of waning or roller coaster of emotions around motivation um of course it was kind of like sad thinking that we have to push things back and um i feel like my fitness is coming along um but i think we just had to readjust things and um, now we're just building up all over again i'm not really on the track i can do anything that i want like just out of the house um i just mm-hmm. do it around the neighborhood so i'm grateful for that um but when it comes to racing i think it's just safe to push everything um if that's the fall or if it's next year then i'm okay with that as well as long as my family's safe and whatnot you know i haven't seen my family since early february and i'm okay with that 
but yeah, it's definitely been tough, like trying to stay motivated. So I don't want to make it too much about running all the time. I think you can get so wound up in your head saying like, I have to do this, I have to work out the stay fit, you know, not knowing what's going to, you know, unfold in the future. I just try to stay busy in the house. I, I try to journal. I try to sp- spend time in the garage. I have all my tools in there and a bunch yeah. of wood, you know, I, I like woodwork and whatnot. So that's kind of been keeping me busy in my mind off of things. Yeah. Um, I love your style. I think you're right. I think that the hardest thing that I personally have found, and I know talking to a lot of other athletes and, and other people is it's kind of the uncertainty. It's like if you had an injury and you said, okay, it's going to be three months off or you're going to have to rehab for a month or what have you. I think yeah. we can wrap our head around that. But when there's no finish line in sight, there's kind of no end in sight. Uh, yeah. I think that's the biggest part oh, that's yeah. a struggle for me. Yeah, it, exactly. Cause you want to, at least you have an idea of what's going to happen, especially with an injury, like, you mm-hmm. know, how much time, how much rehab you need to put in, but yeah, something like this, it's very unpredictable. So I think the best thing I can do is just act like there's going to be a season in the fall and yeah. hopefully that can be my attitude, even if something doesn't happen or it does. And I love your perspective. Obviously, like all of these conversations are, we're privileged. We are, you know, we're able to get oh, yeah. outside and train and we're able to do things that many, many people aren't able to. So, yeah. you know, taken with a grain of salt of perspective as well. It's, it's nice to hear that, you know, that's a, that's an important part is family, oh, yeah. friends are healthy and safe. Now tell me about, um, you're up in Big Bear Lake. Uh, it's it's kind of an unknown spot. So maybe you don't want to talk about it. Maybe you don't want to. No, we could, yeah, yeah. I feel like it's an un- underrated uh, altitude location. Everyone talks about Boulder. Everyone, you know, Mammoth. We talk about Flagstaff. We've got all these other places in the US that people go to. But Big yeah. Bear is at altitude as well. And it seems like, you know, you've built a, a pretty good life up there for yourself. Yeah, it's very close to home. It's about an hour away from my hometown of Ranch Cucamonga. So my family's right down the mountain. Um, but it's it's perfect for me. I get to drop down to sea level for track workouts. Well, at least not right now, but um, it's about a 50, 55 minute drop down to sea level. So we can get from 6,700 feet down to 300 feet, which is kind of unheard of in the US. I know Flagstaff, they go, they go down to Sedona. It's only maybe a couple thousand feet lower, but I think it's perfect for a middle distance athlete because my training is so specific with pacing and speed. And it's really hard to emulate that at altitude. So I, I always had the option of going down if I needed to, but it's perfect yeah. it's in Southern California. And yeah, it's, it's a beautiful town and I love it. Yeah. Close to home. And I, yeah. I, I know you're very proud. I know you're proud of your heritage and I know you're f- proud of your family history. Tell me about that. Tell me what that means to you. Um, That's something I always think about on my runs. Like this is why I run like my, both my parent, parents crossed over when they were very young. They were both teenagers, not at the same time, but um, they were just looking to have a better life for, for themselves. And they started a family out here. They just always been fighting and not with each other, but like fighting to, to survive and provide for their family. And that's always been the mindset that if you work hard, you can get whatever you want in life. So a lot of that's rooted just on how I was raised and just wanting a better life for my family. And I hopefully I can, I mean, I'm in the process of like helping them and, but they don't want my help. Like they want to still work and whatnot, but hopefully like my life's, always going to be indebted to my family and the sacrifices they made uh, to come over and better themselves. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's really interesting to hear people's whys. And I think that, you yeah. know, even in the, the seven to 10 minutes we've been chatting, like there's, mm-hmm. there's a humbleness to you that doesn't come across in a lot of other athletes that you talk to because they're wise, yeah. you know, money or results or fame or fortune or what have you. But I really get a sense from the way that you speak about your family um, and the way you talk about your why that, 
that's not your motivation. Your internal motivation right. comes from wanting to be the best and 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 help and support and and bring light to um, you know the struggle that your parents went through to to survive oh, yeah. and fight their way through. So, mm-hmm. and there's definitely like that sense of like. I don't ever feel, I don't ever want to feel like entitled, you know, and mm. I felt like my parents were really quick to shut me down if I ever act that way. But yeah, I, I always try to be humbled in, you know, what I've gone through and um, whether it's good or bad, but uh, yeah, it's always definitely a life lesson. Yeah. Very, very cool. Growing up, a lot of people are probably like this, but growing up, like um, I was lucky, my dad was an athlete. So I've kind of always, you know, grown up running and grown up around sport, but um mm-hmm. A lot of people don't have that opportunity and running or like running laps around the track yeah. is often a punishment for people at school. It's like you oh, behave yeah. or you're not showing up, like going through laps. Tell me about your experience, like coming up and, and kind of growing up and getting into running. And when yeah. did you first kind of know that you wanted to be a runner? Um, I actually didn't know I wanted to be a runner. I just would always run around a lot, but I was pretty bad growing up. I was pretty <laughs> mischievous. Like I just wouldn't listen. I'd be gone for like hours at a time you know my even though my mom said do not go outside you know I can't keep an eye on you I would just like disappear there'd be times where she would just get really upset with me and yeah like it got to the point where she would just try to chase after me and try to put me in the house but I would just run next door because my grandma lived next door right so I'd always just end up running away from my mom and uh that's kind of how it all kind of started like she mentioned to her coworker, I can't catch my daughter she don't listen for anything and her coworker just mentioned, why don't you just put her in track club? I had never heard of it, but I was like, all right. And then, you know, it just stuck ever since. And I, and she, she looked at it as punishment, but I, I fell in love with the sport immediately. <laughs> I always laugh when like you hear those stories of, of people that, you know, you were running away from your mom or as punishment because you were like, you had so much energy and you were mischievous. Yeah. Like I'll go and run. And then all of a sudden you become a runner. <laughs> When did it click for you? When did you realize, okay, there's some talent here. This is something I might want to pursue. Maybe it was not even talent. Maybe it was just passion. Yeah. What, what, when did that kind of click for you? Uh, I felt like it was always like some sort of like process happening. So even in high school, I had the same coach from the time I was five years old to high, my senior year. And growing up, he always mentioned, you know, you can go to college and Brennan can pay for it. You know, your parents don't have to pay mm-hmm. for it. So that was kind of always in the back of my mind that I can go to college and graduate. And then once I went into college, I didn't know like how well of a runner I was going to be. I just knew I wanted to graduate. But I think once I started improving in my times and whatnot, I went to Europe my junior year in college and kind of got like my feet wet knowing that, okay, maybe this is something that I want to do and maybe it's a possibility. So it was just like, okay, now I can take the next step and hopefully touch into the the professional running world. So that's kind of how it happened. Yeah. So to me, like what I take from that, from hearing you, it was, it was really very much about the process, you know, oh, yeah. you found love and joy in it and you kept showing up and you just kept improving and it was mm-hmm. step after step after step. Is that true? Is that kind of how it all rolled out for you? Maybe back then I didn't see it that way, but not that I'm like scared to make big goals. I just like to at least achieve something that's kind of like attainable, kind of like right away, not right away or overnight, but maybe in that year or whatnot. But I still have these big goals in the back of my mind, but I try not to make it so like me crazy about it and whatnot, but at least be mindful of it. But at the same time, I like taking steps to to plan towards that. Well, yeah. you've achieved some pretty big goals in your time. So I wouldn't yeah. discount or downplay those, which you're not, but obviously, you know, world championship medal, Olympian. Tell me about, firstly, what was it like, uh, you know, on the bigger stage uh, winning a medal at the world championships? What was that like? What was that experience like for you? 
Um, it was definitely like me testing myself. Um, my coach, Dr. Joe Vigil, we had already been working two and a half years and we, we were at the world championships in Moscow. He didn't go. My husband didn't go. I think they had trained me so hard in, in practice and they just said, you need to learn to think for yourself and be independent. Like you can't rely on us being there. And cause that's the way life's going to be. You know, we're not like coach feels 90 now. And he always tells me, I'm not going to be here for very long. So you need to know how to like think for yourself. And they kind of put me to the test when I went to Moscow, like my husband or Coach Veal didn't go. Now, not that I was like worried. I just trusted that I can hold my own and I just got to listen and handle my business. So I feel like I handled it pretty well. We came home with a medal and I was super excited to get on the phone once I was able to get to my phone, which was like maybe two hours after I had crossed that finish line. So yeah and i'm sure well maybe you know back, back then not that it was forever ago but probably not as connected via social media and all of those things today it would be like how many thousands of notifications would you have oh, i know right yeah, <laughs> i think crazy. i just jumped on instagram then so it wasn't yeah. very big <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah that's uh that's funny how the world changes so quickly and then obviously the pinnacle of the sport in track and field is the olympics a lot of people grow up you know, one, I've, I've talked to a lot of athletes who actually grow up wanting to be a, an Olympian. Like that's the only thing they can think of. You know, you talked about how your kind of love and passion for for running kind of developed. But did you, once you realized that you had some goals, was it in the back of your mind that, yeah, one day I want to I want to compete at the Olympics? Um, I think that's every kid's dream, but I was never like vocal about it. I'm like, I, I would never say like, I'm going to go to the Olympics one day. I would just, in my head, I'd probably keep it to myself, but yeah, I think once, I guess once my career started progressing, then I kind of started seeing like, hey, maybe this is a possibility again. Like even in college, I made the Olympic trials my sophomore year. So that kind mm -hmm. of, okay, maybe this is a thing and it can happen. And that's why I went to Europe my junior year to see if maybe I can continue running. What are, what are some of your memories from that experience? Like, you know, some of the athletes I talk to, it's you know, in the dining hall where you're watching LeBron James walk by or like you're walking out in the, the, the Olympic team and there's you know, someone you looked up to. What are some of those moments you had where you were like, oh my goodness, I'm a fan, but I'm also part of this team? Oh, there's a, a ton of them. Uh, there's probably a couple that come to mind. I remember we were going through team processing in, in Houston and then we were there for like a day and it was with different sports. It was just all Team USA. And then the next day we take a flight to Rio um, so I remember sitting down and getting my my ring size so I can get my my ring. Yeah. So I sat down at this table and then someone sat next to me. And then there were, well, there was two people that sat next to me and I kind of just like looked like over and then it was like Serena and, and Venus. And I was like, <laughs> holy crap. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and I was like sweating like crazy. And then yeah, I was like texting my husband. I was like, like, guess what? Like they're sitting next to me. Like, what do I do? He's like, stop being dumb. Like, say hi to them. <laughs> and then he's like, ask him for a photo because you're never going to get the opportunity because once you yeah. get to Rio, they're probably going to be like swarmed by so many crowds. And I was super shy. I was like, can I get a photo? And they're like, yeah, they were super nice. So that was really sweet of them. Um, and then I think there was another incident when it was weird, like the fire alarms at the like, because we were in building 20, like in, I guess they put countries like in different buildings, but Team USA had their own building. I think we were number 19 or 20. Um, but yeah. the alarms kept going off like every single day. And I remember the gymnasts were like on a different floor and yeah. we were just going out of the, like down the staircase and they had like their medals in their boxes, like trying to protect their medals. But it, yeah. it was crazy, I, I feel like. But I feel like that's probably going to be like every Olympics, just insane. As a fan of the sport and as a fan of sport, um, 
you know, watching the Olympics and you're glued to your TV for two weeks in a row and you kind of see these stories come from, but to be immersed in it and be a part of it must be, you know, obviously that's amazing memories that you hold. What about competition? What about the competition where, you know, you stand on the track uh, and the gun goes off? Like, is that kind of a moment of a release for you where it's like, okay, so much work, so much energy has gone into this and now we're here and now I can do what I'm really good at. Like, what was that kind of like? Was that an interesting feeling kind of leading up to the start of competition? I mean, I was super proud, like being there. And of course I wanted to perform better. I, I missed the final, but I think just like my whole journey, it was very hard. Like not everyone went through, I went through, but like, you know, the trip at the Olympic trials. And I think it was such an emotional high that like, I could not recover. Like I remember trying to rest for a few days and I couldn't even finish workouts after that. Right. And then I was like, I, I just want to at least show fitness and, and not be tired when I get to the Olympic games. And, but regardless of like how I was feeling, I was very proud to go there and try to represent like the best of my ability. But yeah, that's something I always be proud of. And that's something that I can, no one can take away from me. I, I can call myself an Olympian still. So well, I had a, uh, an old boss of mine, her name is Alison Forsyth, and she was a Canadian Olympic downhill skier. And I called her uh, a past Olympian. And she's like, no, there's no such thing as oh, a yeah. Olympian. Once an Olympian, yeah. always an Olympian. So I learned that lesson yeah. rapidly from her. Tell me about, um, I'm really interested to know, because my background is in endurance sports, in Ironman triathlon and, and long distance running and long distance cycling. And the training is obviously very different. So yeah. I want to talk to you about, you know, what that's like, there's a lot of high intensity work that you go through, which to me equals a lot of recovery. Tell me about like, what's a typical in-season getting ready, testing your fitness type workout that you would go through? So we, we do multi-paced training. So we train, like we'll do workouts that are for quarter miles, you know, pace work. Um, we do overspeed work. We train, you know, at marathon, marathon pace for like long workouts. We do anaerobic, aerobic tempos. I feel like this type of training kind of exposes your weakness. And a lot of it for me has been like the strength work. I'm very impatient because I'm a miler and half miler. So I want to get the work done right away and not be out there an hour, an hour and a half. Um, and that's kind of where my weakness is at. But at the same time, if I can adapt to those training, uh, you know, with the mileage and the paces, then I know that's going to help me for my speed and for the 800 and the 15. So yeah, it's just very different. So it's, we go, sometimes we'll do eight or 10 day cycles just to get that extra work in, but the recovery is just as important. And I'm not scared to put my workouts. I put my paces and, and whatnot. Like I'm, I'm willing to share with people like my, the type of work that I do. There's no secrets to what I do. It's no gray area. It's black and white. Like this is what we do. And these are the results we expect. It's an interesting thought. Cause I, like, I don't know if you know of Strava, but Strava is like this yeah. thing where people either, you know, they're either super open about their workouts, they put their heart rate data on there, they put their power data on there, they put their pace yeah. on there, or they're like behind closed doors and it's all secret, oh, yeah. like it's going to stop anything. And I don't know if this is correct, but I'm going to say it anyway, and people can fact check, but Bill Belichick might have said at some point or some, some coach said, uh, I feel good enough to give them the playbook that we have and they, they have to be good yeah. enough to beat us. So it's, it's kind of like that where, you know, yeah. Your workouts are your workouts. You still have to beat me. Like not everyone can simulate what, what I do. It, it's very hard. You know, we, I feel like I have the right coaches in my corner, the environment, the attitude. I, and it's hard to emulate what I do. I feel like, you know, I get, I live at sea level and, or I mean, I can train at sea level and I live at altitude yeah. and whatnot. So but yeah, I, most, most of the time I put my workouts out there so people can learn. 
and not, not everyone has like Strava or like a Garmin watch. So for those that don't have the resources, hopefully me putting my workouts up can somehow help them. And that kind of leads me to, to talk about your summer camp or your camp that you host where, you know, you're a mentor to some amazing high school and middle school runners. Um, you bring them into your world, you teach mm -hmm. them, you mentor them. Tell me about that. Where did that start? Why do you guys keep doing it? What are some of the yeah. most memorable moments you've had from those experiences? So in 2012, I had a discussion with Coach Viho. We'll just have like random talks or if I just, I don't know, we talk about life sometimes, but I had this question for him. I was like, Coach, I I feel like I'm not really making an impact me talking to these schools. Like I only spend like maybe 45 an hour just talking to schools, but I don't really know if I'm getting the message across to these young kids. And I didn't have a medal at the time either, but, and he just suggested, it just came out of his mouth, like nonchalant. He's like, why don't you just have a girls camp? And I was like, Oh my God, that's like the best idea ever. So I did all the planning for months and we started it in 2013 and it was right before I went to Moscow, you know, and I, I remember telling the girls like, you can do whatever you want. Like, you know, I, it probably seemed so like, I don't know, cliche, but I was like, you can do it. And then like, I came home with a medal a few months later. So yeah, it was, it, now it's going to be, I think we just finished our seventh year. So it's going by pretty quick. And uh, now they're in their career. Some of them are still picking schools, um, but I still have a good relationship with, with most of the girls that aren't too shy to reach out again. So, yeah, that's amazing. That's great. And um, obviously, you know, current circumstances mean that it may not happen this summer, it may not happen yeah. in the fall, but I have seen that you've continued to stay in touch with these high school teams. You're doing, um, you know, Instagram lives or FaceTimes with them and Zoom calls. Yeah. Tell me about that. Obviously, you're still connected to the community as best you can, given what we're all going through. Yeah. Um, you know, when it comes to my girls, I, they have my number. Um, sometimes they think they have to schedule an appointment. I'm like, no, like <laughs> call me, like, I'll call you back if I miss it. But sometimes they, they call me if they're having a bad day and sometimes they just need me to listen and that's all it takes too. you know, I just want to be a good, a good friend to them as well. I think now's the time to, to kind of be there for people, even though we physically can't be there. Um, yeah. so I'm trying to take that next step to at least reach out to my community and see what I can do. Um, I think every Monday now we're going to schedule four to five schools and me just having like conversations like this where they ask me questions, mm -hmm. whether through it's Google Hangout or Zoom. So that'll be kind of like my community service. And I think they'll keep me sane. I think it's great. I think it's great. Yeah. one, you know, I, I talked to Laura and my wife about it. I was like, you know, this is what she's doing. And um, <laughs> it, it, she's like, this is amazing. She also wondered like, obviously it's a great thing you're doing, but to be so available and, and, and there for people is obviously a, like a draw on yourself and you're giving a lot of your energy to those girls. And I know that you probably wouldn't trade it for the world, but there's probably times where you're like, oh man, I just need to like switch my phone off or get away or get, you know, yeah. some silence and be by yourself. You know, even when camp happens, I always feel like I need it more than them. They, I mean, they're going to say the opposite as well, but like I get so much out of it and it makes me feel good. And um, I feel like it kind of gives me my second win to kind of finish out the, you know, the season and whatnot. Cause I end up having it, you know, right after nationals, but it kind of puts me in my place and it keeps me grounded doing all those things for the girls. And again, I, I have the support, you know, from new balance or they're, they're crazy supportive. Like the girls get three pairs of trainers and ton of outfits of backpacks and whatnot. So they look pretty cool. when when they get their yeah. gear and yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's, it's nice. I'm sure they, I'm sure it's super meaningful them, for them too. So kudos mm -hmm. to you for, for doing that and taking that on. Well, let's, let's change tack. I know you're, you're back at school. I know you're back in college. You're, you're just about to finish up your masters. Tell me yeah. about what that's like. How are you kind of combining 
all of the things. I actually didn't think I'd ever go back to school. I, to be honest, I felt like I took it a little bit for granted in, in college uh, doing my undergrad. My husband kind of was like, why don't you get your master's? And I was like, no, I don't know. Like, I don't want, I'm too busy, but I do have the time. I just have to prioritize. And that's me getting up a little bit earlier to get training done than, than I have to. I just, yeah. I can't be lazy. And I felt like maybe I should do it. I think it'll keep me accountable and maybe just keep me busy. And um, I'm going to graduate this summer. So I, now I'm taking, I, I took an extra class so I can get that out of the way. And I just have my capstone next semester and I'll be done. Yeah. You're probably like a lot of people listening that the more stuff you have on the plate, the better you are. So like it gives you focus. It, you know, if you're, if you're idle and you've got time on your hands, then yeah. you know, maybe you're not your best. So I, I get a sense that that focus helps. Yeah. I mean, it stresses me out, but <laughs> I think it's a good stress. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Um, we did have a comment. Uh, Lulu said that uh, her daughter, Sydney, met you last year at a group that Coach Mendoza took to Cali. Uh, and she yeah. mentioned that you're an inspirational leader. So Yeah, they, they were from Texas. So I think Amazing. they spent time in uh, Los Angeles and they decided to drive up. And I was like, yeah, I'm for it. I was like, I'll come talk to your team. So they made the trip. Yeah. Now you've mentioned your team a few times. You mentioned your, your husband, Carlos, you mentioned coach V. It seems like you have a really good network of people around you. that are able to guide and help you. How yeah. important is that to you? How much has that kind of led to your success as an athlete, having that core group that really supports and, and helps you? With coach V like, I don't like take, taking too much of his time because he is 90 now. So I spend a lot of my time with my husband, who's kind of his eyes. I think it was just a good relationship for him to push me. And I feel like he's maybe the one to push my buttons as well, but he would yeah. still get the best out of me. And I, I think that's one of the main reasons for my success is having someone like that. And who's really good at separating that relationship where as I wasn't, but it's, it, it's really hard. It's a hard relationship, but I know what I want out of this, this career. And I feel like I can get the most of it if I trust both my husband and coach Vigil. But yeah, yeah, it's pretty much like, just all trust. Like even when things are going bad, like I'm not going to turn my back on them or anything or change yeah. the situation or anything. I'm like, you know, these are the cards that I was dealt with right now and we'll figure it out. So we'll get out of it somehow. I coached my wife for a little while. Um, she was, she's, she's a runner, but she was getting into doing some triathlons and I set her a program and we were coaching and, you know, we'd go uh -huh. and she, it didn't last very long because <laughs> same thing. I'd, like, <laughs> I'd push her or I'd tell her something. And like, it just was, it was best that we just uh, parted ways. I, I understand it's hard. Um, well, good for you guys for making it work. Another, uh, another piece of proof that sports marketing works is I know that you're uh, a Seracore. Is that how you say it? Seracore. Cer yeah. Circa core, circa core athlete. Um, forgive me. Tell me how that plays into, cause I, you know, I use whoop, I'm a whoop user and I think that really helps kind of track my recovery and heart rate variability. So I know when to push, um, yeah. those type of things. Tell me about like how much of that's played into your training. Now, do you look at those numbers and realize, okay, today's a day I need to just dial it back a little yeah. bit. It's been really key. Like in my training, um, it has seven biomarkers. So a lot of it, gives you numbers like your hemoglobin is like the main thing. Like you don't have to draw blood to get the results, you know, and yeah. take it to a lab and wait a couple days or and whatnot. But this one's non-invasive. You get the results within a minute. In the beginning, I was using it a lot just to kind of get my baseline and understand like where my averages are at. It's still hard for me to kind of understand like what they mean, but mm -hmm. I've learned like over the years, like, Hey, like my hydration's not great. Like I need to hydrate right now. My oxygen content could be better. Or my hemoglobin like is really low because this workout like took so much out of me. 
if I take it in the mornings, knowing that there's a big workout, it will tell me like, if I'm ready to, to attempt the workout, there hasn't been too many days like that because I'm so consistent in taking it, but there's, it's rare. Like if I'm like, I can't work out, like it's like, I'll be able to work out most of the time because I I'm keeping track of my numbers and I'll take extra precautions. Like if I'm really tired, then I can jump in the hyperbaric chamber and just go in there and, and sleep for like two, three hours and I'll be ready to go like the next day. Yeah. It's really cool. I think that, um, there's so much of it that still comes down to gut and instinct and there's no replacement for that. So even like some of the coaches, the athletes that I've worked with or coached over the years is, you know, the reliance on too much data sometimes becomes overwhelming. So there is an element of trust your gut, trust your knowledge, but to have these tools that really help, like the, you know, the, the final piece or the final percent, I think is really a great time to be an athlete for sure. Yeah. And I try not to get too obsessive with it, but I do try to like share with my, the audience, like, Hey, this is how my body's feeling. And sometimes I don't know uh, how I'm going to feel once I actually start warming up. But yeah, with this one, it kind of takes the majority of the guessing out. And Mm -hmm. and to your point too, like I've woken up days where the numbers are bad, like your recovery score is terrible. Like, and then you can kind of like trick yourself into like not wanting to do the workout or like sandbagging it. So it's like, it's kind of also like, sometimes you just have to like, put it aside and use your mm-hmm. mindset to say, okay, like the numbers are the numbers, but today I, I need to like, just go for it. And you kind of get yourself through it as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that happens too. Like, even if they're slightly off, it's, I think it's okay to work out, but yeah. if they're like terrible, then it's like, yeah, yeah, don't yeah. do it. Don't be dumb. <laughs> go work out. Yeah. yeah. I actually read an interesting study. So um, this is definitely not double blind proven, but um, the whoop that I use, they, they mm-hmm. can actually track re- respiratory rate. Um, yeah. And they noticed in a bunch of people that had a, a significant increase in respiratory rate over a period of two or three days actually then end up, ended up contracting or, or testing positive for COVID-19. So they've built up this massive data Whoa. set that proves that they can show kind of ahead of time, if your respiratory rate goes from, you know, 14 or whatever to 18 overnight, then there's something really big happening. Um, and in oh, a number wow. of those cases, it's actually proven to be COVID-19. So definitely not proven study, but they've got a pretty good data set to prove that. So oh, yeah. it's interesting how this kind of like sports technology has now, you know, Nothing transformed either. or transformed into something else. So tell me about that mindset. You know, we talk, talk a little bit about it of like, you sometimes you just have to put it aside and just go for it. Like, what's mm-hmm. that mindset that you feel like you have that drives you to just get better every day? Like, where do you tap into? What do you tap into? How does that develop in yourself? A lot of it's self-talk. I I try to block out any negative thoughts of like, maybe I can't do it today. I'm not feeling my best. Sometimes it's just me just talking positive to myself. And literally, like if I'm thinking negative, I'll tell myself like, stop, like do not even go down that path. And it, it's definitely hard to, to get out of it. But for the most part, I can if I'm just like, just relax my shoulders and take deep breaths. Mm-hmm. And I can get to that level. It might take some time. But um, I always just try to prime myself by the time I wake up, you know, what kind of, what kind of day I, I want and what I can actually control that day. I try not to think about tomorrow or tomorrow's workout and whatnot. So yeah. I try to do what I can control today and not get too ahead of myself. It's a great lesson. I think it's, you know, it's always about controlling the controllables and what's in front oh, yeah. of you. And, you know, when you're in that moment, like what are the things that you can check off, you know, your breathing, your yeah, technique, exactly. your attitude, those type of things and, and self-talk. So it's really cool to hear that. Um, one thing that I've seen in 
athletes that I've spoken to uh, that are at your level um, and have had achieved amazing things in their career is that they're super uber competitive and that they would uh, race you around the block just for no reason. Yeah. Is that something that you think about in yourself? Are you a competitive person? Are you a racer? Are you kind of like standing on the start line going, I will beat you? Yeah, like maybe championship races. I'm, I'm probably obviously more competitive, but I try to have fun for the most part. You know, I ha- you have to enjoy what you're doing. Yeah, you get some interesting things like around you, like especially when you start competing with other people. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, there's people that play mind games too. Like there, there are people that will, <laughs> there's like a coach in particular, like he'll have his athletes warm up next to me. And I'm like in the most random spot, like warming up and, they'll literally like sit next to me and it's like, I don't know what you're doing. Like I'm ready to race. Like you're worried about me, like worry about the race, you know, but yeah, yeah, just trying to control what I can control. And that's my thoughts. I feel like. What's the most memorable race you've had? Obviously we talked about the Olympics. We talked about Mm -hmm. meddling at the worlds is, are they, you know, would they be on the list or, or is there another race, another moment where you're actually most proud of that, you know, maybe was, not one of those big on the big stage where you had to kind of dig deeper or whatever. I'll, I'll yeah. let you kind of roll from there. Yeah. What's your most proudest race and moment you've had? Um, I would say those 10 days at the Olympic trials, I think both finals, I think that that period was definitely like something that got me to my core, like where it affected me deeply, but I somehow found a way to rebound from all that. And um, again, it was just keeping my mindset intact and I felt like I was able to do that with the support that, you know, my coaches, my family. Again, it was just about me not feeling sorry for myself, knowing that that was something I couldn't control. Like I couldn't control getting tripped. And yeah. even when I finished, I wasn't even trying to blame anyone. I was like, well, the team's made, like, what can I do? The only thing I can do is move on and move forward. I have the 15th to look forward to. And I knew I wasn't going to be the most rested and whatnot. But again, I think the, the mind's a very powerful thing. And that was... I was kind of relying on that too. I was like, my mind can get me there. I know my body's probably going to be a little bit beat up, but I just trusted it. I trusted my coaches and I was actually happy like those 10 days. And it probably took me, you know, that the 800 final, I was a little bit sad that day, but I was like, there's no point. Like I'm going to move on. I'm going to continue with the routine that I've, I've been doing. And yeah. And that, that kept me, kept me up. Uh, you know, I was reading a lot. I was journaling still. But yeah. It, it, it was interesting. I felt like I got to know myself more and know what I'm capable of. How much of that experience um, have you been able to translate going forward, you know, even into the mentoring with the girls and kind of teaching them about that ability to to keep moving forward when you think there's no hope? Like how much of that has been able to like translate into the way you live your life now and and what you're sharing with others? One of the topics we we cover in, in camp is confidence. You know, it's really hard to attain it, but if you can take the steps and change that mindset like the mindset's everything like I even give him like a Carol Dweck book um the mindset um and I tell him to read it over and over again um and I tell him you know what we're humans we are going to make mistakes we're going to have adversities but you got to take them at speed bumps that doesn't mean that it stops there you just maybe it might take a little bit longer to get to your destination but just just roll with it and keep that mindset you know, intact. Cause that's the one thing that's going to kind of hold you over and go over that speed bump. But if you start thinking negatively, like you're going to, you're not going to go anywhere. I promise you that. So a little bit of tough love, but I try to share my story with the girls and, you know, if they can go, go home a little bit more enlightened, then I feel like I'm doing a good job. But um, again, I always tell them, reach out to me if, if you're having a bad day or maybe you, 
you need a pep talk or something before a race. I've, you know, I, I, I see your social media and you're super motivational and you're super encouraging and you're sharing some, you know, the insights into your life. And it, it's mm-hmm. always from a place of positivity and wanting to lift other people up. So I, you know, I appreciate you sharing that story. I appreciate the way oh, that you yeah. go about your business on social media and, and helping other people out. Now, before I do let you go, uh, I, I do have three questions. They're going to be the same questions every day on the uh, I'm Curious to Know project. So the first question is, what's one thing that's happened during isolation that is new that you want to keep once we go back to this new normal? Oh, man. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, I mean, I feel like not much has changed, but like family, like it has everything to do with family. Like I can't wait to get back to my family and my nephew, like my nephew's getting big now. He's already two. And I just want to visit them more, more than anything and have them come out more. But right now it's, that's not even a thing. So yeah. I don't, I don't want to take my family for granted ever again. Yeah. That's a good one. That's yeah. well, that's well said. I think that's uh yeah, that's a big one for a lot of people that, mm-hmm. you know, especially uh, I get a sense that you, you're super close as it is. So the fact that yeah. you're now not able to be together, that's probably even harder yeah. for the people that are maybe what's some estranged that now kind of miss them as well. So yeah, I've been uh, like, sending them like packages and stuff. Like I bought my, my niece a sewing machine and my nephews are into puzzles and like punch needle stuff, like craft stuff. So I've been, you know, doing that for them and sending it. So they're staying yeah. busy. Well, I look forward to seeing when you re- reunite. I'll, I'll follow I on social okay. to see you guys when you reunite. Next question. What's one thing that you thought was important before isolation and all of this went down um, that you're happy to leave in the past? Probably eating out. I, I used to always eat out. Like that was just a part of me being lazy and not cooking at home. Um, but now that we, we try to go shopping every three to four weeks, but now it's like, I'm, I'm eating healthier and everything's holding me accountable. You know, I'm getting up early, I'm cooking my meals and I even cut weight, you know, I, it wasn't intentional, but I did. I think it's just because yeah. I'm cooking at home and um, being more thoughtful in what I'm doing. Maybe you'll share some of your best recipes with okay. us as well. Maybe we'll see that. Um, <laughs> And then final question. Um, I'm curious to know what's been the most memorable, joyous moment you've had during this isolation quarantine where you've kind of looked around, you've woken up and you're like, man, I'm, I feel so fortunate and lucky to be doing what I'm doing or being who I yeah. am. What's is one memory or moment stand out for you? I think just waking up, like, honestly, every time I wake up, I'm like, I know I can go out and run. And a lot of my competitors, like, like I have a really cool relationship with Caster Semania. So she'll like give me up time for time. And she's just like, I'm so jealous. Like I can't even get out the door. Like it's, that's how bad it is here in South Africa. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like I have the luxury of going outside and just running around my block and it's a two mile loop and I take advantage of that. So I'm just lucky that I can wake up and I live in a town where it's pretty much secluded and I don't have any issues. And I can get the work done and, and whatnot and do things from, from the house. So definitely it's when I wake up. I have a sense. I love that answer, but I also have a sense that you probably have that attitude every single day of your life anyway, to some degree, you seem like that type of person to me, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll accept that as an answer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Brenda, this has been amazing. It's been super insightful. I have loved the conversation. I really appreciate you sharing. I appreciate the motivational and inspirational message that you have to share. It's great to hear more about the story of, of Carlos and Coach V and the, and the crew and the New Balance support. So yeah. um, this, has been, this has been really fun and I really, really appreciate the opportunity. Oh, no, thank you. Thank you for thinking of me. <laughs>
Of course, thanks to Q for uh, for, for nominating you. Um, <laughs> as mentioned earlier, uh, we will be going live every single day in May, 3.30 p.m. Eastern. Um, tomorrow, I have dear friend Charlie Engel. Um, Brandon, this guy's story is pretty incredible. He was the first person to run across the Sahara Desert. He ran at wow. least a marathon for 110 days in a row. He was a former recovered drug addict. He went to federal mm -hmm. prison. He's done everything and more. Um, so we're going to hear from Charlie tomorrow. So I look wow. forward to that one. Brenda, you're awesome. I appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. And, and once again, thank you for your time. Yeah, you and Lauren stay safe and the kiddos. So. We'll do it. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please make sure you go and leave a five-star rating and review. It will help like-minded endurance sports enthusiasts like you find the show. Also, make sure you tune in daily throughout May as I bring you more conversations with amazing humans from the world of endurance sports. If you'd like to catch these discussions live, you can do so at 3.30 p.m. Eastern every single day in May on the innervoice.life Facebook page. Thanks again for being here. I'm your host, Travis McKenzie, and this is the Inner Voice Podcast.